Good morning, church family. It's good to have you here. Starting next year, we're going to begin a new series uh, on the 15th of January here uh, where we're going to go through the book of John, the Gospel of John. Uh, and we're going to go through the whole thing, and we get to spend some time together in that. And I really want this to be something that draws us together, where we're all looking at this, and in particular, reading this great Gospel of John uh, that is so focused on spirit and truth. And we want to share this together, and we want to do this in such a way where it draws us closer together, and it draws us closer to God. I really hope that we're able to see um, what happens when you have a young man who follows Jesus around, become an older man who finally can look back and go, let me tell you what I saw, and let me tell you what it meant. And so I think there's going to be a lot of uh, blessing in that with us, spending some time uh, together in that. And one of the things that I was hoping, if you'd like to do, there's going to be a sign-up sheet outside, and you may have seen this already, and we have got the Gospel of John here, um, and with it is a journal. So it's got uh, the Scripture on one side, and then it's got a place for notes on the other side. We would like to make this available to you. If you would like to get one of these, we'll all be reading then in the same version. We'll all be talking about the same thing. There will be times where I'll go, hey, if you want to write something down, this is what you ought to write down. This is what really matters, and this is what's eternal. So if you would like to get one of these, uh, we've got several, but we need to know how many to have. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to just sign your name back there, and we will have one available for you. I would love it if what we could do is spend the first part of next year coming here together and going, okay, Let's get out the word, let's spend some time in this together, and let's make some notes of some things that are eternal that apply to us here in this world. So if you're looking to get one of these, I would love for us all to have one, uh, if we could, and kind of sharing this together. And then you can spend some time outside of Sunday uh, studying that and looking at what will be for the next week, and we'll be able to reflect on that. So um, before we begin, too, uh, we're going to keep with a, a tradition that we have uh, where we're going to pray for the larger kingdom here in Kerrville, Texas. Uh, this past week, um, I got to meet Bert Batts, uh, who is the pastor over at the St. Peter's Episcopal Church. I uh, got to spend some time talking to him, learned about his wife, his two kids a little bit. Uh, it was something that was good for me to be able to uh, get to know him. So I would love it if we could just stop for a second and let's pray for them that they are sharing the word of Christ out in this community and that many people will come to Christ through all of our efforts here in this place. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that your kingdom is so large. Uh, we thank you that it will um, remain and the gates of, of hell cannot prevail against it. And instead it marches on. And Lord, we want uh, the kingdom of God to come here in power in this town. We want people here in this place to know the joy and the freedom and the comfort and the hope and the peace and the love that comes from walking with you. And so Lord, we pray for all those who claim you as Lord here in this town. Uh, we, we pray that you will remind us all uh, what a joy it is to walk with you and that we have something so valuable that we have to share it. Uh, give us the joy in sharing uh, the gospel truth. And so, Lord, we ask, too, right now that you be with uh, folks that are meeting all over this town, and in particular those at St. Peter's Episcopal Church with Bert and his family. Lord, we ask that uh, you would bless them as they sing praises to you this morning, as they bring uh, a message from the Word and then as they go out into this world, Lord, we all want to be your children. And we know what a joy it is to you when we love each other well. Uh, with our focus being on how great your son is and his entrance into this world. So, Lord, we uh, ask blessings for them and we ask blessings for us. Bring us all together and make us one as 
you and the Son are one. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are, uh, we're going to be talking about joy this morning. Uh, and I want to tell you, it was important to me to have somebody like Avis and Sarala read Mary's song this morning. And the reason is because that tiny voice, that little bitty voice, saying those powerful, powerful words from Mary as she rejoiced in the coming of Jesus. You know, I know in a lot of ways, we try to make sure that what we don't do is we don't elevate Mary too high because we think that that could be a problem. She is not Jesus. She is not uh, God in the flesh. She is not who died for us. But sometimes what we do is in doing that, we push her down too far. And you need to know, this was a remarkable young woman. Absolutely remarkable. The faith that she had, the faithfulness that she had to follow along, follow along with what the Holy Spirit called her to do. I don't know if you know this, but odds are she was probably around 16 years old when she was told that she was pregnant. This is one of those unexpected pregnancies uh, that was more unexpected than probably any other pregnancy that's ever happened in such a way. And you have this young lady who's filled with joy at the idea of this coming. And not only that, but she was a woman of the Scripture. I don't know if you know, but her song that was read up here, like I said, in this tiny little voice from this young woman, drew from all different Psalms and Old Testament stories. As a matter of fact, it's, it's believed that a lot of what she said there was drawn from what is Hannah's story in 1 Samuel. You know the story of Hannah who prayed and prayed and prayed that she could have a child, and if she did, she would dedicate that child back to God. And so it only makes sense that when you have Mary that she would draw from a story that she knew from Scripture, from the Torah to go, like Hannah, this is how my soul rejoices. And she goes on, and she drew from Psalms too. So what you have here is you have Mary, who's miraculously pregnant, with Elizabeth, who's miraculously pregnant, reading some, some uh, text or quoting some text that seems to be drawn from Hannah, who was miraculously pregnant. And you have all of this together, and her joy is bubbling up. And these are the things that she says, and I love that, in particular in verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And my spirit rejoices. The spirit that rejoiced in God my Savior. She's filled with joy. Bless that young lady's heart. She's about to go through some hard stuff. You know, you think about that and her rejoicing in the way that she had. And, and at the time, knowing you're going about this in the way that most people don't, you know, your betrothal to Joseph is now going to have scandal written around it. But she's still fine in the, in the rejoicing that she's able to have. But not only that, there's going to be so much more sorrow to follow that young lady's life. It's true that she has been told that the Son of God is going to enter this world through her womb, there's no doubt. But there's a bunch of sorrow going to come with that too. It is going to be very difficult. Not all of what follows is going to be joyful for her. found this uh, picture. Ricky sent to me. Uh, I want you to see it. This joy and sorrow. You look at that and you go, boy, if that's a depiction of Mary there on the left in her joy at the incarnation of God here in the flesh, there's the beginning. But then you go to the other one and you go, there's going to be the end. 
That's going to be the end of her time in this world with her son. It's not all going to be joyful. She is about to embark on a seriously difficult journey. If she's like most Jews during this time, she has an idea what the Messiah will be like. And so Jesus is going to come and he's going to do less than she thought he would. But he's going to do so much more than she's ever imagined. It's not going to be the way that she thinks. Right now she rejoices in the idea that she's going to give birth to the Son of God, but soon she will face so much difficult times. In just months, there will be the slaughter of little Jewish baby boys surrounding the birth of her son so that they can find him. This was organized by Herod, and so there will be slaughter of children. Her son that she rejoices in is going to be rejected by his own people, and eventually she will stand at the foot of a cross where her little son, who's grown up, hangs in agony. It's going to be hard. I know for us, we sing joy to the world, and it is a time of joy to the world, but it's not that simple. Just because we light the joy candle doesn't mean that everything's great. Some things can be really hard, and this can be a difficult time for some of us. As a matter of fact, just this morning, in prayer requests that I've heard, and in stopping and talking to a lot of you, there is sickness, and there is death, there is loneliness, there's recent diagnosis that has been devastating, there are struggles with addiction. There are battles for custody with children. There is issues with the law. There is heartbreak in so many different places. For some of you, this may be your first Christmas without a loved one. For some of you, it may be the reminder of a time that you don't have your loved one. It is true Jesus came in the flesh, but there is still death and there's still sin there's still poverty, and there's still hurt. And when that song says, a weary world rejoices, we still got a world that's kind of weary in some ways of all of these things. We can be weary from loss and from heartbreak and from poverty, depression, all of those things. You sit here and you go, Warner, this is a great sermon on joy. I know, I am throwing a wet blanket over everything. It's like, why don't you just turn around and blow the candle out and be done, man? <laughs> but I tell you, I do want us to talk about joy, and if you'll stick with me, I will show you the joy that can come when there is still sorrow, when there is still hurt, when this world isn't completely perfect. We have to know these things because we have to know where our joy is anchored and that those things that we're going to struggle and that sorrow we're still going to have can't make it die. It's an immortal joy, and that's what we're looking for. So there's this opportunity for us to grab onto something that is immortal, that is beyond those things that I've just mentioned to you. So I do want you to stay with me, and I promise you I'm going to show you where our joy lies and that we can have it. There's two things I want you to remember today, more than anything, about our joy that is immortal. It is based on a God who hears the cries of his people, and it is based on a God that intervenes. That's what he does. Of all of the things that this story is about, and what you read in here is about a God who hears the cries of his people and about a God who intervenes. And we're going to spend some time on that this morning. Hearing the cries of his people, that is such an important thing. As a father, uh, I've got two daughters. They're grown now, but I want you to know I've got this love-hate relationship with my cell phone, especially at night. 
when I lay my head down in the bed from the time that my kids were teenagers and would start leaving and still now that they're grown, one of them lives in Colorado, one of them lives in Houston, I've got this thing with my phone where I want to turn it off because I won't want to be disturbed by it, but I also want it right there where I can hear it in case my kids need me. And so I desperately want to be able to hear my phone if it rings, and I pray that it never does. It's this weird, bizarre place to be. I'm, I'm assuming all parents kind of have this, that you can relate to what I'm talking about here. I've had this happen before, where it rings in the middle of the night. I've had my daughters in car accidents, where they call in tears, hysterical, and you pick up the phone, and it's this awful sound of them being scared and them being maybe hurt, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, but I want to be there. I want to hear the cries of my daughters when they call me. As a father, I desperately want to be able to hear that. I had a time once when uh, my daughter got hold of me the day after she had a problem. I woke up in the morning and I looked at my phone and I saw that I had had like 10 missed messages from one of my daughters. I was out of town. She was back in Austin. She'd come out from work late at night and her car wouldn't start and she's trying to call me. And I had my phone on vibrate overnight and I never heard it. And I felt awful waking up that morning, going, my child needed me. She was reaching out to me, and I couldn't hear her. Now, luckily, everything was fine. She ended up calling a friend's dad, and he came over and helped her. But I just think about her out there walking out into that parking lot alone, and she's trying to get hold of her dad, and I so want her to be able to get me. That's why it was so great another time when she called and said, Dad, I've had an accident, and I'm able to go, Dad's coming. I'm coming. I'm on my way. I'm going to be there. Being able to hear the cries of our children is such a huge thing. And I think for our God to be able to say, that's who I am. I am the God who hears the cries of my children. In Exodus 3, verses 7 and 7 through 10, this is what the Lord said after the cries from his people who've been enslaved in Egypt. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That's the story of our God. I have heard your cries. You're enslaved. Something's got a hold on you. I've heard it, and I'm coming. It's interesting because he says, I'm coming to take care of this, and what he does is he sends Moses in this way. But this story goes on and on throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, it starts at the very beginning when you hear God say, uh, Cain, I have heard the cries of Abel's blood that is in the ground from where you murdered him. And I've actually heard that. And then you hear the cries that he has from when the Philistines oppress them and when Babylon carries them off, when all of these different groups that come and hurt God's people, when they're conquered, when they're carried away, he hears the cries of his people. The phone's not on vibrate. He doesn't go without. He doesn't always respond when he wants them to. But he hears the cries of his people, those that are oppressed and those that are enslaved and those that are hurting. And he still hears the cries of his people. We can take joy in that. And then the next thing is that you need to know our God is the guy who intervenes. He's going to step into this. 
He's going to make a difference, and he's going to make some things happen. You know, that's the thing is you got story after story. You got this story of God defeating a giant Philistine as they came to make war on his people. You have God with Pharaoh and the Egyptian empire and him going, I'm going to intervene here. I'm going to bring these plagues. I'm going to bring the most powerful empire in the world right now down to its knees. The Assyrian armies, the walls of Jericho, the Babylonians, all of those. You have story after story of God going, I'm going to reach down with my mighty hand, and I'm going to intervene. I'm going to make something happen here. you got evil kings. you got wicked queens. you got these groups of people that are just brutal. And from heaven, the Lord reaches down, and he gets involved. He acts. One of the things that he does is he acts. He defeats foe after foe after foe in this world. And here's the thing is it's not just human enemies that he reaches down and he defeats, but it's leprosy and it's blindness and it's the lame and it's snake bites and it's all of these different things when his people are hurting and when they cry out and you see that God intervenes. What he does is, again, he reaches down from heaven and he makes things different. He intervenes. So here's the hard part for us is when the Lord reaches down and he intervenes, and he takes on the foes of this world, the bad thing is, is there's always another enemy and there's always another foe. That's one of the things about a broken world. He would defeat one people who were oppressing his people, and then guess what would happen? Another group would rise up and they would take them on. There's another army, there's another illness, there's another depression. It keeps coming in a broken world. Enemy after enemy. He saved his people from enslavement and then they got enslaved again. And he saved his people from captivity, but they were still taken captive. Even at the time of Jesus, when he entered the world, the Lord had delivered his people over and over, but here they are being oppressed by the Roman people, conquered in this state again. God had intervened, and he'd reached down with his hand so many times into this world, and here they find themselves oppressed again. This is what's different, though. Because when Jesus came, and when he was born into this world, it's different now. Something's different. Something eternal changed when God came down in the flesh. It's not just that he reaches his hand from heaven anymore. It's he decided to be so involved, he entered the world. Things are different for us because of that. I'll read to you from Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Listen to this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, this is about Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but it's Abraham's descendants. And for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He had to be just like them. You know, that word, when you look at that, where he had to be, there's some real strength in the way that it talks about that. That can be translated when it says he had to be made like them. He must 
be made like them. He ought to have been made like them. It almost means he owed to become like them. In other words, if this is his goal, then this has to be the way to do it. He has to become like them. He has to intervene in a way that he's never intervened before. He has to come in the flesh to help his people, as it talks about. Is he trying to help angels? No, he's not trying to help angels. Trying to help the descendants of Abraham. That's us. That's you and I, the people. It starts off with the children because the children are flesh and blood. He's going to come, and he's going to be in the flesh and blood. He's going to become human so that he can help humans. That's the whole point of this. And here's the deal. It involves more risk than ever before for our God. Timothy Keller talks about that. He says, you know, to become involved is to become vulnerable. You know that. To become involved in something is to become vulnerable. You want to get involved in the lives of those that are hurting? It's going to cost you something. You're going to open your heart up. You're going to open your life up. It's going to make you vulnerable in some ways. And that's what our God did. He didn't just act this time. He became. More than just reaching down from heaven, he goes, I am going to become like you so that I can join in. And there's nothing more vulnerable than showing up in this world as a human baby. There's no greater risk. And that's what makes our God different. Every other deity that is talked about, every other God through every other religion, it's shared and it's shown that he is beyond the brokenness of this world. Not our God. He's not beyond the brokenness of this world. He enters into the brokenness of this world. That's what makes Jesus different. That's the love that he has for you. Our God moved from above it all to say, I want to be affected by all of it. I want to get all of it all over me. Become vulnerable to everything that you have experienced. That's the risk, and that's the vulnerability. That's how involved he wanted to get in this. You know, that's that risk with getting involved. You see that. And I remember seeing a lot when, when uh, COVID first started, and we didn't know what all this involved. and We didn't know how difficult this was. And then you'd see these stories of these nurses in particular who would have to walk into this room where somebody would come in with this illness. You don't know if they're going to get it. We don't know how deadly it is. We don't know what's happening. But these were the people that were going, I will step into this and risk that so that I can help the people who need to be helped. It, I'll tell you, it's no different really than any mom, Right? I mean, the idea when you have your kiddo and you hear him getting sick, and I mean really sick, they've got the flu or something like that, you don't see a mom going, well, I'm not coming in to help because I'm afraid I might get it. Moms walk in. They step right into that. Some dads too, but I think about moms so much, right? Is to go, I'm going to come in. My mom, I don't know if y'all ever did, my mom would check my temperature by putting her lips against my forehead. I don't know how accurate that is. But I know she risked a lot there. That's that idea of coming in. My love is so great for you. I don't worry about catching what you have. People can see pain and captivity and hurt. And they'll say, look, I want to help, but I don't want to catch it. That's the difference in our God. Our God says, I've come to catch it all. I want all of it. I want to catch every single thing that you have. I want to be infected with it so that I can overcome it. And show you what it means. He didn't just say that I'm going to save you from captivity. He said, I've come to become a captive. I will now be a captive. 
He said, I didn't just come to save you from oppression. I've come to be oppressed. And now I've experienced that and I've overcome it. I didn't just come to save you from abandonment. I will be abandoned by everybody who claims me as friend and Lord. I came to save you from sorrow and from loss and from sin. And I'm going to become every one of those things so that I know exactly what it's like. And I've come to save you from death. So I will die. I will have every bit of it all over me. I'm going to experience everything you've experienced, the suffering and being crushed and temptation of every kind and abandonment. There is nothing you've experienced that Jesus hasn't experienced. It's not a contest. If it was, we would lose because the devastation, I mean, the whole story of Jesus is this idea. It's the most tragic thing in history. A king born into a place where he was homeless, to, to live a life where his own subjects don't recognize him, and not only do they not recognize him, but they abuse him, and to finally say they're going to kill him, and then those that claim him as friends are going to betray him, and they're going to run away, and they're going to leave him alone, and he's going to die the most horrible, shameful, painful death that there is. He's experienced everything you've experienced for the sake of saying, and I'm going to overcome it. And when I do, something eternal is going to change. He intervened as a human and experienced all of it, every single bit of it. And he became temporal, the temporary, so that he could overcome the eternal. That's the thing that's different. In the old stories, what you had is you had a temporal enemy, and the Lord from on high in the spiritual plane reached down to change it. Now it's different. We have a spiritual enemy, and what you have is our God going, I'm going to step down from the spiritual realm, and I'm going to be human so that I can overcome your spiritual enemy. He turns everything upside down. That's why it's so neat in that Hebrews 14 and 15 where it says, He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. You see what's dying? It's not a human enemy. It's a spiritual enemy. He's come to make sure that the power of death is overcome with us. Is there still going to be death? Yeah. Does it have power over us, eternal power? Not anymore. He's going to take that on. And that fear of death that every being in this world seems to have, human or not, I'm going to overcome that. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm going to become human so that what I can do is defeat the spiritual enemies that you have and Satan himself. He changed things at the spiritual level. And now you see that all of these rescues before and all of the times that he reached down into this world to defeat the enemies, those were all just shadows and images of what he's eventually going to do as Jesus Christ. All of those times he reached down from a spiritual plane to defeat an earthly enemy, and now he reaches from an earthly plane to defeat a spiritual enemy. That's what he did. That's why we have joy, is the eternal foes have been defeated for us. He hears the cries of our souls, and he intervenes. When he came in the flesh, something eternal was changed. The perishable God overcame the things that are unperishable. We can still deal with hard times. We'll still have sorrow. There will still be hurt. There will still be difficulties. But those don't define us anymore, and they don't own us. Death and st sin still occur, and they still have some power, but they don't have eternal power anymore. That's what happened when Jesus came in the flesh. They can't own us. They don't get to claim us anymore. 
We aren't ultimately and eternally slaves. We aren't ultimately and eternally conquered. And we're not ultimately and eternally going to die anymore. Those things have been taken care of. So we have joy. We have joy because of this immortal joy that has been given to us. It can't die. It came in the flesh to give us joy that can't die anymore. All of those enemies have already been defeated. So it gives us this opportunity to remember joy and to rejoice. I don't know which comes first. It's an interesting thing. Do we rejoice so that we remember the joy, or do we have joy and so we rejoice? I think both of those things work. This is one of the reasons that we gather together. Is maybe when you don't even feel it, is we're going to come together and we're going to rejoice over what Christ did. And with that, you'll have joy that's immortal as you move on. Last week, I brought up a, a story to you about the, the McDonald's who go to church here and, and their grandchild, their, their son and daughter-in-law who, who took Abby. There's a picture I think we've got. You remember Abby? We talked about this last week. If you weren't here with us, I'll tell you a little bit of the story. Uh, the McDonald's uh, son and daughter-in-law I knew from Austin. and I went and had lunch with Danny when he talked about, we're going to get this girl and we're going to adopt her. That's her. And he showed me a picture. And I'm going to get her. And I'm going to bring her back. We are talking about... What a great price that was and how neat that was. There's some of that story that I didn't tell you that I want you to know now. When he told me that he was going to go get her at lunch, he said, here's the deal, though. I got to go, and we get to spend a week with her. But then we have to leave. They're making us leave for like a month before we get to go back and get her and bring her home for good. And so there's going to be this month, this in-between, where there's some things that have already happened, but there's some things that have not yet happened. And I remember asking him and saying, okay, so when you go and you spend the first week with her, before you leave, what do you want her to know? And he goes, oh, I want her to know she's already our daughter. That We've already taken care of that. We paid the money. The papers have been signed. She already belongs to us. See, she's already ours. I have to go away for a little bit, but she's my daughter. And I want her to know, I'm going to come back and get you. Don't you doubt for one minute that I'm going to come back and get you. And I remember thinking of that, and I'm listening to him talk about it, and I'm going, this is amazing. This is the story of the gospel of Christ, right? This is what happens with us. We live in this place between the already and the not yet. Already, sin and death have been defeated, and we live that way, and we get to rejoice in that. But at the same time, the not yet, to where we get to go, and there will be no more death. And there will be no more sin. And we'll have every tear wiped away. In the meantime, we rejoice because we believe it. We rejoice because it's been done. The price has been paid. The papers are signed. We are children of the king. And that's who we are. And he will come back. And he will get us. And that's where our joy lies. We are already dear to him. We've already been claimed as sons and daughters. And so... We will rejoice in that. We're going to take a little time today, and we're going to do what we've done uh, before. We're going to take some prayer time. Some of you are having a hard time feeling joy right now. You're going through difficult things. you got some real challenges ahead of you, maybe that are physical or emotional. You're going through a difficult time, maybe this time of year, and you're suffering with a little sadness, maybe a little depression. You have loved ones that are going through difficult things. And it's pulling on your heart in such a way. Or maybe you're in the spot where you go, all I feel is joy and I just want to give thanks to God. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little time. We're going to have a few songs. Pray at your seat. Pray with somebody next to you. 
Go and pray with the elder or with the minister and their spouses. We want you to reflect on this, and we want you to remember the joy that does not die, the immortal joy. Hold on tight to it. Help. If you need help finding it, come find one of us, and we will speak the words of truth over you. At the end of that time, we're going to have uh, James Penland will come up, and he'll say a prayer for the things that have been turned in and uh, the prayer requests. But before we do that, if you would please stand with me. We're going to read Philippians 4, 4 through 7 together because what we're going to do is we're going to rejoice to help us find the joy. So if you would, read this with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you uh, that we have joy built in something that cannot be defeated. And Lord, it is just so shocking and surprising to us that the way you chose to defeat uh, our immortal foes was to become mortal in every way. Lord, we, uh, we want to rest in it. We want to have our peace uh, we want to have our hope in this, uh, this incarnation when you decided I'm going to come down and I will be with you and I'll experience what you experience and that will be the joy that you have is to know there is nothing that we will experience that cannot be overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And so, Lord, it is during this time that we ask you to comfort those who are hurting, to help them rely on the joy that they have in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would let us understand that oftentimes sorrow and joy can exist right next to each other that this is not just some mood or some happiness that can die with just the next hard words that come out of somebody's mouth, but instead these are based on an empty tomb and on a cross and on the incarnation of our Heavenly Father. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.